Yeah, we're going to be in the book of Acts today. Um, Acts chapter 3, I got assigned the whole chapter. So uh, full 1 through 26 we'll be going through. If you don't have a Bible, I think I saw one in a Bible around you in the ESV in those black study Bibles. It's actually going to be on page 911 in those black study Bibles if you have an ESV uh, in those chairs there. So uh, let me pray one more time and then we will jump right into Acts chapter 3. Father, uh, you are good. We just declared that with our voices to you through song, through singing. And we'll see in this passage that uh, one day... When you return your second coming, all that repent and trust in you will be singing at the top of their lungs. One worldwide global concert singing, you are good. You are our Lord. You are our Savior. And this morning, every Sunday morning as we gather in large groups here at Redemption or the Crossing or Mountain View or wherever in this world, we get a little glimpse of what that day will be. When your church comes together and lifts up the name of Jesus. Lord, it's in that we rejoice. Today is the day that you have given us, and we will rejoice and be glad in it because of that hope that we have. Because of your son, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we look forward to that day of being with you where there will be no sickness, there will be no disease, there will be no paralytics. It will be a place of perfect perfection, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And Lord, that's why we rejoice. Because we have the hope of glory inside us because of your son, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Good, Acts chapter 3. I got to start with a question. How many of you guys in here have ever been sick? Go ahead and raise your hand. Probably everyone. Good. How many of you guys ever broken a bone in here? Raise your hand. Good. I've been uh, sick many times, obviously 46 years here on planet Earth. I've been sick multiple times. I've broken several bones. I've broken my ankle, my elbow, my nose a couple times, my front tooth a couple times. But by God's grace and mercy, he has healed me every time through prayer, through doctors, through medicine, through stitches, through pins, through needles, through a good immune system which he has given us. Just like you, you guys have experienced the goodness of God and his healing capability in this world by so many different means. Well, today in Acts chapter 3, we are going to look at the first of 14 of, of, of God's healing miracles. Now, this healing wasn't of a common cold or a broken bone. It was of a paralytic, a, a man who has been paralyzed for about 40 years. And we see that God heals him. Now, if you've been a Christian, if you've studied the Bible, you know that, that healing is a part of the, the story of God. The first healing was in Genesis chapter 20, when Father Abraham, uh, it says in 2017, when Abraham prayed to God to heal Abimelech and his wife so that they could have children. That was the first recorded healing in the scripture. And from that point on, there have been highs and lows in which God has moved through healings and miracles. We see one of the, the pinnacles of God healing was with Moses in the exodus of, 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 of those 40 years of wandering in the desert. We also see that there's another pinnacle of healing, and that's with Elijah and Elisha in First and Second Kings. In fact, those are the two that first record the first resurrection where they raised someone through the dead, through the power of God. And then there's a little bit of a lull. There's still some healings until we get to gospel and to the Jesus so we get the Gospels in Jesus. And there we see the healings and the miracles ramp up again. And the reason why we see these peaks and valleys is that the reason why we see God in his storyline use these healings and his miracles is because he's trying to get something across to the world. He's trying to get across like Moses with Egypt 
or Elisha and Elijah with those that they were fighting with. They, they're trying to get on that God is sovereign, that he is sufficient, that he is superior, and that he's a saving God. That's what healing and miracles all point to. The healing and miracles we see are secondary. There are some in this in in the, the prosperity gospel or the health and wealth gospel that preach the heresy, that that's the ultimate peak is, is financial well-being and healing. But often these healings point to something greater than that, and that is God's supremacy, his sovereignty, his saving power. We see Jesus in Luke 7 when he's with John the Baptist, or he's not with John, John the Baptist is in prison, and John sends his disciples to see if Jesus is the Messiah. And this is what he says in Luke and Jesus answered him, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, leopards are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. You see, the reason why Jesus had all these miracles and healings accompanying his ministry is because they were pointing to something, that he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he is the one that was predicted in the Old Testament that was to come and to be the Savior of the world. And that's what healings and these miracles point to. They point us to Jesus. And, then, and it continues in Luke. As you guys have been in Acts and they've opened up the book and they tell you, this is a, a continuation of uh, the Dr. Luke and his authorship of Acts. And he continues with this line of proof. Luke continues with this line of proof. And being a doctor, of course he does, right? He highlights the power of God healing. Even though Jesus was killed, he was raised from the dead, and now he sits at the right hand of God the Father, he is still healing today. In the book of Acts, he's still showing the power over sin, sickness, disease, over creation, and through his people that are empowered by the Holy Spirit, he's using them to show that power. And even today, today he's still healing. And again, these healings point to a greater healing that we all need, these physical healings, and that's our spiritual healing. Everyone apart from Christ is dead, as a dead man is a dead woman, has a hard heart, and has nothing to do with God. The greatest miracle, the greatest healing that anyone and everyone will experience is when you repent and trust in Christ. When he breathes life into you through the hearing of the gospel, he gives you a new heart and a new life as we will see. That is the greatest miracle. So yes, does, does the Lord still heal physically today? Yes, but even more importantly, every single day across this planet, he's doing the greatest miracles, and that's saving people that are dead and raising them the newness of life. So let's look at Acts chapter 3 together. That was just a little storyline of healing in the Bible to undergird the context here. Let the healings begin. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. In verse 1 it says, Now Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. So we know who Peter and John are. They're one of the, the, the main pillars of the, of, of, of the early Christian church, the main leaders, as Paul says. They were two of the three of, the, of Christ's inner disciples of the, of the disciples of the twelve. And they're going to pray at the temple. This is the ninth hour is 3 p.m. on the Jewish clock. Our, it would be 3 p.m. for us. And this was a busy time at the temple when people would go because three times during the day, they would, uh, the Jews of the Christians would go to the temple to pray three times. And this was also probably a little bit more... Um, uh, more people, more traffic going to pray at this time because at this time, the people would also offer their sacrifices. 
And also, we know there's a lot of people in, in the city of Jerusalem now, because you guys just went through Acts chapter 2 and Pentecost and studied that, where Peter gets up and gives that great sermon, and 3,000 people come to Christ. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 4, next week you'll see that there's also 5,000 men that come to Christ. So right now, in Jerusalem, there could be 10 to 15,000 believers around going to the temple of prayer. There's a carryover um, between the Judaism and Christianity here. There's a bridge that's being here. So they're going to the temple to honor the Lord through prayer. And it says, at the entrance of the gate, beautiful. Now I have a picture of this. And one thing I want us to, to realize is that in Acts, this is a historical time. This is a historical event. These are real people that we're talking about. So I think we have a picture. There we go. This is where the temple would be. Now it's sealed up, but in Jesus' days, the, those two little you know, areas that are sealed up would be open. And that man, Peter and James and John, would be walking through that temple and they'd be sitting, that man would be sitting right there at the corner. Has anyone ever been to Jerusalem or Israel in here? Anybody? Yeah. So you guys got a little taste. You guys know what this, what this is about. This is a real place with real people and a real historic story. So here at the get, there's this handicapped man who's been crippled from birth. Acts chapter 4 says he's in his 40s. I'm 46 years old, so I can resonate with this guy. He's in his 40s. He's been crippled for 40 plus years. So he probably had a special special spot near the gate beautiful, you know, for maybe the past 20 or 30 years. He had a spot. He had his family members or friends bring him to this spot on a daily basis where he would ask for alms. Or maybe he had a little cardboard, you know, said, please give, please help. He'd ask for alms. Any, any alms for this crippled man as people, men and women, would be passing by. And thousands upon thousands of people are walking by him like he's not even there. Now, we can resonate with that, can't we? Because there's times where we drive by people holding signs on the corner. And what do we do? We act like they're not even there, right? Or if we go in Fort Collins or Old Town or somewhere around here where we see the homeless people holding signs up, we, we, we tend to walk by them, don't we? It's okay. We can be honest in here, right? We can be honest in here. Uh, what we see is humanity hasn't changed in the past 2,000 years. We still have the same heart issue. So this man is asking for alms for the 40 years of his life. Some give. But the majority of them passed by. We see in verse 3, we see Peter and John about to go in the temple. So they're walking through the gate. They see this man. He asks him, please, sirs, can you spare some change? Can you spare some alms for us? As he sees Peter and John coming. And verse 4 says, notice it. It says, they directed their gaze. They fixed their eyes on this man. They didn't avoid contact. They didn't try and drive by him or pull up so he'd be behind him. They looked, they stopped, they engaged this man with his eyes, with their eyes. And then the beggar with his head down and his hands up again asks them, can you please spare some change? And Peter says, commands him in verse 4 to look at us. Look at us. Now can you imagine what might go through that, that man's heart, his stomach, his his eyes, his mind, he's like, oh, look at us. He's going he's gonna to give me something. They're going to give me something. They're going to give me some money. They're going to give me some cabbage, you know. They're going to give me some gold or silver. So he looks up with anticipation. And Peter says, verse 7, um, he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And they took him up by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. Peter says, I don't have any silver or gold, but I have something better. And he heals the man. Immediately, Jesus touched him, and this man is healed. Forty years, this man could not use his legs, 
And then all of a sudden, he has feelings in his legs. They are made strong, and he stands up. This is an incredible act of God's mercy and grace. Let me give you two quick lessons that we can learn from Peter and John here. You guys have heard this, these, these phrases around descriptive and prescriptive. The guys have taught you well using these words when we come into the book of Acts. Descriptive means just uh, the, the book of Acts is just describing what has happened. Just describing the event that is happening. Then you have the prescription where it's like not only are they describing what is happening, but there's some things that we should do, that we should incorporate in our lives as well. And here in this description, I think we have some prescriptions that should affect you and me. Two lessons we learn from Peter and John in treating this, this man. First is we treat all people, we treat all people with dignity, with respect, because they are all created in the image of God. Doesn't matter your ethnicity, doesn't matter your financial situation, doesn't matter your physical condition. We treat every single human being with dignity and respect. Because God knitted this man in his mother's womb, just like he did for you and he did for me. And though in his mystery of the providence of God, he, he, he used this man to be paralyzed when he was born. But for a purpose, for a reason, God was going to do something that would literally, we have us speaking about it 2,000 years later in his power and his glory. So we treat people with dignity no matter what their ethnicity, their situation, or their condition. And I got to say, this is a massive principle if we're going to interact with our culture today. Our culture does not treat all people with dignity, has it? We live in a Genesis 3 world. We live in a, in a world that is dominated by Satan and his, and his sinful um, regime and his, his desire to bring chaos, death, and, and segregation. And we can be that bright light by stepping into that darkness and treating all people, again, with dignity and respect. Number two. When coming, come in contact with those less fortunate than us, you might have money to offer, but you also have something much more valuable, just like Peter and John do. You have the gospel. You have the gospel. Not only the gospel to be spoken and shared, but also the gospel to be experienced through you living it out. Now, this right here is, is Peter and, and John probably passed by many beggars that were there. He wasn't the only one. There was probably more there. But for whatever reason, they felt the conviction to engage this man. And I think that's a principle for us. We don't need to engage every person on the street corner or any person in the park. But be available. Be open to see what the Lord might do through you. Maybe it, maybe it is to share and give them some food or give them some money. Or maybe it's for you to stop and engage them as a human being. And to talk to them. And to, and to get their story, their background, to hear a little bit about them. And then maybe be able to, to share the gospel. Maybe you're being called to be the good Samaritan in their life that will change their life for literally eternity. You see, you have the gospel, and that's much more valuable than money. So be available. Look again at that phrase in verse 7. And he took them by the right hand and raised him up. See, here's the principle. The power to heal was Christ. The power to heal was Christ, but it was Peter's hand who helped him up. I want you guys to get that. The power to heal was Christ, but it was Peter's hand who helped him up. In other words, God uses means to heal and to save people. And those means are you and me. 
It is his message that we proclaim. It is his message that we live out. He uses us to bring people to himself. We are all called agents. We are all ambassadors of the gospel, of the kingdom. We are the vessels in which Jesus uses to bring people to saving faith, to heal people. It is his message and it is his saving power working through you and me on a daily basis to change people's lives, to change our lives. We are the deliverers of that message. Romans 10, 5, 15 says this, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How will the people know about Jesus that there's no one to tell them? I want you to think about that. You see the homeless man. A lot of people that aren't Christian can give them food, can give them money, but they can't give them the gospel. They can't give them what they need the most, the words of eternal life. But you can as a Christian. I can as a Christian. So when you are driving, when you are walking, pray and ask when you see those individuals and see if the Lord doesn't use you to change someone's life. We at the crossing talk about um, we want to take the gospel, not only the words verbally, but also our actions to where we live, work, and play. Uh, everyone in here is a missionary. Everyone in here is a, a minister. Everyone in here is an ambassador of God who's in Christ. And we want you to take the gospel message to the spheres of where you live, work, and play. You guys will be way more impactful than Matt up here on a Sunday morning. You'll be way more impactful than me. You guys are the, the hands and the feet of the gospel. And so one of our ladies, she was working at Wells Fargo Bank, uh, Leslie Fawcett, and this young lady came in with a kid, and she tried to cast a check. And this, this lady didn't have it together. And so Leslie, she was the teller, just took it a step. But the commission has to ask her how she was doing. What's really going on? We'll find out that this young lady was, was homeless, was in a hotel, uh, almost killed herself, tried to drink herself to, to death, was on drugs, et cetera, had this little one-year-old boy. Leslie entered into her world and brought the gospel. Well, so what she did, she called my wife, Rita. We, we put her up in a hotel just to assess the situation. And then what we did is we invited her to come live with us the next day. So here we literally took this lady and her little child off the street, not even knowing who she was. She continued for, they lived with us for about a month. She continued to go the way of, of drugs and went AWOL. And so we ended up fostering this little one-year-old boy. Boy, he's now four years old. He's been reunited with his father. And he is healthy. He is strong. When we first got him, he was literally eating out of the trash can. Because his mom would go into these hotels, get drunk, get high, pass out, and this little one-year-old had to fend for himself. Who knows where that little one-year-old would have been if, our, if Leslie didn't engage that, that lady with the gospel. This could happen. This is the power of God working through you to bring people into his kingdom. And so this is what we see. We see the response of this man in Acts chapter 3, verse 8. The response is... That's what one would respect, uh, expect, right? He's overwhelmed. He's rushed with, with joy. He's leaping, and he begins to walk, and he's leaping. He's dancing as they're entering the gates. Now, now just pause and think about this for a second. This 40-year-old man has never felt his legs, and now all of a sudden he feels his legs. He's been crippled since birth. He could never run around the neighborhood with the kids. On a hot Jerusalem day, he couldn't run through the sprinklers, Right? Uh, he, he couldn't, as he grew up, he couldn't sing and dance with all the festivals that Jews would, would celebrate with, with his people. He had to sit there. Then all of a sudden, Peter 
offers him to rise and walks. He's healed through Jesus, and now he's running, he's skipping, he's jumping, he's dancing. Before he was on the sidelines, not even the ability to get married because he couldn't provide. This would have been utterly debilitating for a man in our society, and back then even that much more so, to have your friends and your family carry you around day by day just so you could survive. So, of course, he has this overwhelming rush of joy. I don't know why I thought about this, but I immediately thought of Forrest Gump. You know, you guys maybe saw that movie. And he's just sitting on the porch, and he just decides to run. And he runs across country like three or four times, right? And they're asking, why are you doing this for world peace, for this, for that? And he goes, I just felt like running. To me, I think this is, this is the guy. I bet you he became a marathon runner in my book. You know, that's extra biblical. But maybe he just became a mar- He felt his legs, and he could run. He was healed. So he rejoiced. Second thing we see is the healer, Jesus Christ, in verses 11 through 16. Acts 3, 11 says, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people were utterly astounded and ran together to them in the portico called Solomon. And what is happening here is what you guys heard from Nate a couple weeks ago in Acts 2, 43. In Acts 2, 43, it says this, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. You, you read that in Acts 2.43, and then what you see in Acts, Acts chapter 3 is exactly what that summary statement is in. We see here that Luke records one of the many signs and wonders for us. And we see the response of the crowd. They're astonished to what came through the apostle Peter. They're astonished. They're utterly amazed. Next thing you know, Peter sees a crowd gathering, probably thousands of people gathering around him. And Peter, being a preacher, never lost for a word, says, whoop. Time for sermon number two, right? You guys heard sermon number one in Acts chapter two. Time for sermon number two here. And this will be, as you guys continue to go through the book of Acts, this is going to be kind of the, the flow of the book of Acts. The, the apostles do a, do a miracle. People are gathered. They're astonished. The gospel is proclaimed. And then people repent and are saved and added to the body of Christ. This will kind of be the model as you guys continue to go through the book of Acts. And so Peter makes it clear right off the bat that he did not heal this man But Jesus Christ did. Look at verse 12. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though it's by our own power or piety that we have made him walk? It's not by us. And he points them to Jesus. Being very clear, he says, notice it's the name of Christ that has saved this man. In verses 3 and 6, in verses 3, chapters 3 and 6, and then verse uh, 3, verse 16 as well in chapter 3. And the name of Christ is not just some name. It's just not some incantation. When he says the name of Christ, he's talking about the embodiment of all that Jesus is. That he is the God-man. Very God and very man. It embodies all of him. Again, it's just not in Jesus' name. It's just not some magical incantation. But it embodies all of who Jesus is. And so knowing this, Peter wants to be very clear. And so he gives and adds four titles of who Jesus is. Now, these verses right here, along with Colossians chapter 1, might be some of the most Christocentric um, verses in all the Bible. And all Christocentric means, means Christ-centered. You want to know who Jesus is? This is the, these are the verses right here that who Jesus is in 11 through 16, starting in verse 12. This is what he is. First, he says this. He is a servant. Jesus is a servant. Verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus. Now, again, if you've, we've been in Christian, you're like, yeah, I know Jesus is a servant, right? Mark says he came to, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a man. Yeah, I got that. Check the box. 
But pause. Don't, don't let this go over you so quick without thinking the depth of meaning of that. This is an amazing truth that God himself will become flesh and dwell among us. To become a man, step out of heaven. You see, this is unique to Christianity. No other religion, no other philosophy has this as their, their leader, their servant. That God himself would be their servant. All other religions have you and me are the servants. You and me are the one who sacrifices to the gods. You and me are the ones who sacrifice our time, our talent, and our treasure to merit salvation. To merit right standing with these other false deities. Only in Christianity does God himself become our servant. He is the one that sacrificed for us. He is the one that died on the cross for you and for me. This is utterly unique to Christianity. So when it says Jesus is our servant, we rejoice in our, in our, in our, our, our praise goes to God because without him serving us, we are still dead men and women in here with no hope. Jesus is our servant. He's the servant. Second, it says he is holy. He is set apart. He is without sin. And he is righteous. That righteous means he's fulfilled the law. We were called to fulfill the law. We could never fulfill the law. He fulfilled the law. This is what's called his active obedience of him living the perfect life in your place, in my place. His passive obedience was him dying on the cross for our sins. So he's the righteous one. And we see it's in contrast to Barabbas, the thief, the murderer. It's an amazing thought. The holy and righteous one was passed over for a thief and a murderer. But then we also see that he's the author of life. Verse 15, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. Later on in Acts chapter 17, you'll hear these words, uh, for in him, for in Christ, we live and move and, and have our being. You see, because of him, we exist. But the author of life, that word life is much more than just existing. There's a couple words for, in the Greek for, for life, and it's not bios, which means physical existence. It's zoe. He's the author of zoe. In other words, he's the author of the quality of life. He's the author of abundant life. He's the author of vibrant life, a life that's filled with vitality and joy and pleasure and hope. It's more than just the author of existence. Yes, he's the creator, but he's much more intimately involved with that. He's the author of, you want abundant life? You want joy? You want fullness of joy? It's in Christ. This is who Christ is, the author of Zoe, absolute fullness and abundant life. So Peter leaves no doubt who healed this man. And again, we've talked about that. That Jesus still heals today. Nate referenced that we were in a kind of an all Crossway Chapel Network regional pastors meeting this past week. And Mark Hotelling, some of you guys might know, he's a pastor out in Alt, um, out there in the plains with the, our network. And he gave an update on his mom. His mom had stage four cancer. Um, you know, once you hit stage four, there's really no hope, right? I mean, it's all, it's all downhill unless you're a Christian and you know the Lord Jesus who heals. And so... She, um, through a lot of prayer, obviously, she went through uh, chemo and radiation. And uh, she was completely healed through chemo and radiation. Now, God uses a number of different means, right? He uses a, a human being touching you, rubbing some oil on you. As James says, he can heal through that as a means. Or he can heal through the doctors. Thank God we live in the year 2018 with modern medicine, right? And all the other things that, that God can use through healing. But here's the thing about that. Most times, people with this cancer, in fact, all times, people with this type of cancer, 
They had chemo, they had radiation. It would just, it would just shrink the, the tumors. And they, would have, they still have to be operated on to take them out for them to be healed. She is the only case in the, in the world that is known that she didn't have to go through an operation. That God healed her completely. The only case in the world. How about that? That's God through prayer healing his mom. So Jesus is still healing today physically. We move on. Three. From healing to the gospel. 17 through 26. Quickly notice now the indictment of the sermon. Peter will probably not be invited to teach in a lot of churches in America today because he's not one to sugarcoat it. I'm glad I'm standing in a church here that preaches the gospel and is unashamed of preaching the Bible, as, as uh, Nate pointed out last week. But I want you to look at the personal pronouns. After exalting Christ, saying, hey, this is who healed you, this Christ. He goes this. Look at the personal pronouns in verse 13. You delivered over. Verse 14, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked and requested for a murder to be granted to you. Verse 15, and you killed the author of life. How about that? Peter standing up and just pointing fingers at the crowd. Because of you, the author of life has died. But of course, we know that he rose again. But Peter cuts to the heart. Right? When we share the gospel, we got to share the bad news before we share the good news. If we don't share the bad news in its fullness, then the good news is never really good news, is it? But we understand this was us, then the gospel and what Christ has done for us is amazing, is astonishing, is utterly astonishing. If that was the end of the sermon, that would be brutal, but it's not the end. Look at verse 17. And now, brothers, notice the change. And now, brothers, I I know you act in ignorance, and I also, as also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouths of the prophets, that Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Again, notice the change in the tone. He, he talks to them as brothers and sisters. He talks to them as, as family. He wants to get around and have like a, a little family meeting. Even though he just accused them of killing the author of life, he says, now come in close. Let's, let's talk about this. Let's work through this. He says, I know you were ignorant, so are the rulers, but that doesn't excuse you from what you did. Putting the Son of God to death. But here's the good news. He says there's hope for you. He says if you repent of your sin and you turn back to Jesus, you'll be forgiven. In fact, we'll see three blessings. But if you don't, we see in verse 23, via through Moses, it says you will all be destroyed. You will all be destroyed if you don't. So this is a very serious moment this morning. If you are not in Christ... And, and friend or family man has drugged you here, man, I'm, I know this body is excited for you because we are all once in your shoes. We are all once separated from God. But someone loved us enough to, to invite us to church or to talk about us about Jesus and, and to talk about us in our separation that if we stay separated for the rest of our lives, we will be destroyed. But the good news is because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, if you repent of your sin, you, you recognize that yeah, I, I am a sinner. I am a rebellion against you and your kingdom. And you turn from that. You acknowledge that. And you turn and embrace what Christ has done for you. That you see your need for a Savior and you put your faith and hope in Christ. You will be saved and you'll get these three blessings. Are you guys ready for this? Because this is awesome. Verse 19. Blessing number one you get. Your sins, notice plural, may be blotted out. Your forgiveness of sins are gone. 
This, this phrase, blotted out, carries the idea of a ledger being wiped clean. Here's your sins. It's got this big old list of everyone that's ever existed. Here's your sins, Aaron Santini. Anger, that's sin. Payment, death. Lust, that's sin, equals payment, death. Um, gossip, slander, equals payment, is death. But when we repent and trust in Christ, whew, gone. And all you see is forgiveness. Your sins have been blotted out. They've been wiped clean. What an incredible promise. You receive forgiveness. Totality. But not only just forgiveness. Forgiveness forever. Right now, if you've done that, Revelation 3, verse 5 says this. Now, this is awesome. This is awesome. Because we know that even though we're forgiven, we're not perfect, and we're going to still fall into some sin. We're still going to battle sin in our own lives on a daily basis. So let this part encourage you as well. Because your ledger has been wiped clean, here's also what you have in Christ because your sins have been wiped away. It says this in Revelation 3, that those who conquer will be clothed with white garments, talking about us Christians who repent and believe. And I will never take his name out of the book of life. How about that? I will never take your name out of the book of life. He goes on. I will confess his name before my father and before the angels. Oh, man, that's good stuff right there. Not only are you saved, but you're saved for eternity. You are what we talk about, eternally secure. Once saved, always saved. So you can never be snatched out of your Savior's hand because of what he has done for you. It's not dependent on you and me. Now, okay, I'm in. Now i got to keep myself in. No, you're in because of what Christ has done, and you will remain there because of what Christ has done. All who are predestined get glorified in Romans chapter 8. It's a beautiful promise. Number two, second blessing. Nate mentioned this as the opening uh, call to worship, that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Refreshing, relief, reju rejuvenation. Hey, we live in a Genesis 3 world, and this world will eat you up. This world will beat us up, will it not? Some of you guys right now are in a deep, deep valley because the world is just kicking you. It's just beating you down. And, and you need prayer. You need help. You need, you need the community to come around you and rally around you and, and hold you up. Well, this is what this verse is talking about. The times of refreshing that come through the Holy Spirit, that come through community, that come through times in his word, that come through prayer. This is the Zoe, the abundant life. Though the world has knocked you down, you will not stay there because Christ is in you, and he will use you and will bring you out of the ashes. He will refresh you, rejuvenate you, relieve you. And then thirdly, verse 21. Whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Who are those prophets? He mentions them in verses 23 through 26. Moses, Samuel, Abraham. And he points out that there is a restoration coming. Uh, uh, the, the whole world, a whole history is moving to an appointed end. And that appointed end, as Revelation says, is Christ is making all things new. 
This is talking about the second coming of Christ, that Jesus the King is coming back to restore his kingdom on earth. Where he will deal with sin, he will deal with sickness, he will deal with the lame, and it will be nothing but perfection that we will live on. And for those of us who repent and put our faith in Jesus, we'll be a part of this restoration. Can I give you a glimpse of what that day will look like? Because another prophet gives us a glimpse of what that day will look like. It's the prophet Zephaniah. So turn your Bibles to Zephaniah chapter 3. What you want to do is go to Matthew. And then Zephaniah is four books to the left of Matthew. So you got Malachi, you got Zechariah, you got Haggai, and then you come to Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 14. This is what this day is going to look like. This is one of the blessings. This is one of the benefits that we get when we repent and trust in Christ. This is your day and our day, even though it's the day of the Lord. First says this in verse 14. Sing aloud, O daughters of Zion. Sing aloud. Rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughters of Jerusalem. <coughs> Let me ask you a question. What's the best concert you guys ever been to? You guys have all been to a concert right here, right? Musical concert, Right? The best concert I've ever been to was, was, uh, was a band in the early, early 80s called Ready for the World, right? Anyone know who Ready for the World is in this place? My wife does. All right. We're good. All right. That's all. Whatever. That's, it was my best concert ever, right? These four guys that played all kinds of instruments. They were kind of, they were just awesome. And they got down. They could dance. They could move. They had rhythm. They were, they, it was awesome. So maybe, maybe it wasn't that. Maybe it was you 2 Anyone you 2 Journey? Yeah. Billy Joel? Garth Brooks? Kind of dating myself right now, saying in the 80s, right? Because that's when the real music is. I don't know about all this stuff put out today. I don't know. Right? But what's the best concert you've been to? Whatever that is, this day, it, it, they're, they're not even the same ballpark. And in fact, this day, this concert, you and I are going to be participating in. We're going to be the backup singers of this day. This is going to be an amazing event. We are going to be singing and rejoicing with all those throughout the world since the beginning of history who repented and trusted in Christ. We are singing, we are rejoicing, we are exalting with all of our hearts. Why? Look at verse 15. The Lord has taken away the judgments. He has blotted out our transgressions, what it says in Acts, against you. He's taken away your judgments. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. That's why we're singing. That's why we're rejoicing. This is justification in the Old Testament. Justification means it's a legal declaration where God the Father looks over you and says, Aaron Santini, you are not guilty because of what Christ has done. Your record has been cleared. You are righteous. And the same is true for you if you are in Christ. You see, on that day, Jesus will I'll be standing before Jesus. You'll be standing before Jesus. And he's going to pull out his, you know, his little file. And he's going to get out my, my little folder, Aaron Santini, and my whole life. And he's going to read. He's going to read my, my book, my, my story. He's going to read my life. And this is what's going to be. This is what your life is going to read. Aaron Santini, holy. Put your name in there. Aaron Santini, blameless. Aaron Santini, righteous. That's why we're rejoicing. No judgment. And he's going to say, Aaron, enter into the joy of your master. In fact, your, your, your mansion, Aaron, is on David Mighty Men's cul-de-sac. That's where your mansion is, right? 
Some of you, some of you are going to get grace place. That's cool. You're going to get forgiveness lane. I'm going to be hanging with David's mighty men, hopefully. At least that's my prayer, right? But that's it. He's going to see you, and that's your standing right now. Already not yet because of what Christ has done in you. This is why people are singing. So when you come here on Sunday morning and you're just, you're just doing this singing, come on. When you know who you are in Christ. I don't care how you, I sound terrible. That's why I sit in the front row because I sound terrible. But I am singing to the Lord because of what he has done for me. Your ledger has been wiped clean. Dressed in robes, holy, righteous, blameless. What a promise. But you know what? It even gets better than that. It gets better. Look at verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst. So we're in the presence of the Lord. A mighty one who will save, he will rejoice over you with gladness. Who's rejoicing over who? God the Father is rejoicing over you, is rejoicing over me. How? With gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with what kind of singing? Loud singing. Loud singing. This is incredible. His joy, his love, his singing will be on display over all the world to see. Over what? You. Me. Because we've trusted what Christ has done for us. In Christ, God the Father will be delighting over us with singing. This is the perfect picture of Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son. This is, this is what it looks like. God the father is the father in, in the prodigal son. And his prodigal son, you, you know the story, right? He goes away, he squanders his living. He asks his father for his father's inheritance. I wish you were dead. Give me my money now. He goes, he squanders it all. Sends it all away. And yet the father is looking and he sees his son coming back and the old man starts to run towards his son. The thing that's amazing about that is older men didn't run back then. That was a sign of... of uh, when they ran, I was a, it was shameful. You, you run to the father. You run to the patriarch. But here, the father runs to the son. He kisses him, puts his ring on his finger and says, my son is home. It's time to rejoice. It's time to party. Get the fattened calf or the lamb and let's, and let's bring out the best wine. It's, my son is home. This is what the Lord will be saying. My sons, my daughters are home. And he's singing over you. He's singing over me. What a day this is going to be. But, the, but get this. One guy pointed this out, and I thought, oh, my gosh, this is, this is like a golden nugget of all time, okay? You guys ready for the golden nugget of all time? It's this. If God spoke and all of creation came into being, and he still upholds it by his word, right? We, we, we step out, and in the last couple of weeks, there's been kind of a change. There's been a change in, in northern Colorado, right, in our, in our creation, right? Uh, I think you guys have noticed it. I noticed it. I love the change, right? The, the trees are blooming, all the different kinds of trees out there. We got white trees. We got purple plum trees. They're, they're blooming. The cotton's starting to fly. I mean, you can make the smell. The grass is growing. You see, you, see, you, know, you drive down certain parts of the, the, the highway. You see calves being born, little lambs, new, new life, spring, right? And God spoke and created all that stuff. And we get to enjoy that. That's awesome. And he still upholds it by his word. He goes on to point this out. He says this. If God speaks and this happens, what will be produced in your soul and my soul when the Lord sings over you? Oh, did I hear, ooh, yeah, ooh. Think about that. He speaks this creation. What happens when he sings over us? Loudly. 
That's, 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 that's money right there. What happens when he sings over? He kind of gives us a little hint in the remaining verses in 18 through 20. He sings, there'll be no more shame. There'll be no more suffering. You got, you got shame in your heart right now? Gone. You suffering in your heart right now? Gone. You won't be lame. Those debilitating sicknesses and diseases, those chronic illnesses, gone. No more outcasts. You'll be in the family. You won't feel alone. That's just a little taste. I can't wait to get there. This is what Acts chapter 3 is all about. It's, it's, it's the summary could be this. The healing points us to Jesus. Jesus points us to the gospel. The gospel points us to Jesus and the hope of heaven, as Colossians says, the hope of glory, the hope of restoration. But we're not there yet, are we? That's our hope. That's where we're going. That's what we cling to when we're, when we're struggling in life. I talked about this in Colossians. I talked about this at the, the pastor's breakfast. Is like, um, if you knew you were going to get a million dollars, no, sorry, a million dollars is waiting for you Monday at the bank. You're going to wake up tomorrow, and there's going to be a million dollars in your bank. But you don't know that today, right? It, how does that affect your life? It doesn't affect it, right? There's no hope there because you, you don't know about it. But because of Christ, because of what we just read in Scripture in Zephaniah and Acts, we know what awaits us this day of the Lord. And so that brings us hope. So hope is not necessarily for then. It's for us now. Get that? Because we know what awaits us, we have hope now. It's the hope that now gets us through those tough times. Do we weep? Do we cry? Do we struggle? Yes. Yes. You let it out. And the Lord will use that, and he will comfort you through his word, through his spirit, through community. And our comforting words are, hey, I know it's tough right now, but let's... Let's, 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 let's deal with that pain, but let's also point us to the future. One day, this will be no more. It'll be fullness of joy. But we're not there yet. At the end of Acts, verse 25, I should have brought my glasses, says this. But you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant of God made with your fathers, saying, Abraham, saying to Abraham, in you, your offsprings shall all be the families of the earth that is blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning everyone to the, um, to, from your wickedness. So because of the gospel, we, and we are our children of Abraham. Galatians says that we are children of Abraham. Abraham are those who repent and trust in Christ. Those are that's the pedigree, that's the legacy of Abraham. So that's you and me if you trusted in Christ. And it says we have, a, we have, a, we have an obligation. We have a, a mission that the crossing's on, that redemption is on. And that is to bring Jesus to the world. It's to bring Jesus to where we live, work, and play. So as we sit back, think about that. Think about where you, where you, where you live. You're, you live in Loveland. Where do you work? Where do you have your hobbies? What it takes you to. Think about the people that don't know Jesus. Spiritually, they're lame, and you have the means to make them well. You have Jesus and his message and his power. You are called to be the ambassador to bless the earth, 
we go from being cursed to now being a blessing to families all over the earth. So tonight, today, meditate on this message. Think through this message. Pray to the Lord to ask him to give you an understanding of your mission, your assignment to those people in your circle of influence. Let's pray.